internet, I mean we lost 19 of our best guys. My name is Matthew Kroll. And your driver will be ready as soon as he puts his pants on. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Big Sick. Yeah, sick, bruh. Welcome <laughs> to the sickest bruh podcast this side. We should do this in a California accent. Uh, I like- can't. I Fun fact, Shahir. I can't do a California accent. You can do a lot of accents. I know. And, and you I can't do the you can't do the little tw- the you know what's up brah what's up bro what's yeah, up, bro? yeah. <laughs> yeah. but then it just turned into michelangelo well i guess that okay i can yeah, Mike, do one yeah michelangelo is kind of like a california guy yeah. slumming it in new york he's a know? party dude yeah he's a party dude yeah <laughs> how are you shahir i'm very well thank you uh how about yourself i'm good i'm good pleasantries yeah. aside let's move on uh yes good <laughs> we don't need to talk personally no uh ladies and gentlemen we're doing this we haven't done a morning podcast in a long time. I know, and I just woke up. Uh, as did I, where I'm drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's a lovely Saturday morning. Yeah, and we're doing the big sick. Yes. I'm excited about this because I felt like... Now, usually, if anyone's you know uh, follows the show closely, uh, which I hope you do, uh, you know that we will take a week out from a movie. So we don't see the movie immediately as it comes out. I mean, occasionally we do. Um, but we wait a week because we want the critical consensus to die down a little bit. We want people to kind of have seen the movie yes. before we get to our podcast. The Big Sick came out about a month and a half ago. Yep. And so you're looking at your feed and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I just, I, you know, I heard so much good stuff about it. And also I was like, I kind of want to do a small movie. I want to do a small, Nothing in, wrong with that. you know, small movie in the midst of the summer where it's all Spider-Mans and Guardians and Wonder Woman's and Dark Towers and yada, yada, yada. I just wanted to do something like where it's simple and small. Or as Mark Wahlberg say, Transformers. Transformers. Olmas, yeah. Is he is he still Boston? Transfimers? I don't know. Maybe no. He was. He's a scientist right now, right? Uh, he was an inventor. no. He's an inventor. He's an inventor, but he 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 uh, was from Texas. He's like, don't mess with Texas. I'm like, what oh is wow, funny? it's like Liam Neeson doing like an American accent, you know. Uh. Um. So I was, and also, you know, uh, in wake of our email where someone said my name was Camille, I felt that it was it was necessary to live up to the hype. And now, and now we're doing a film a film written by Kumal. Nanjiniani. I should probably. I, yeah. How here's, do you, here's the thing. Okay. Okay. This is a this is a movie about a similar upbringing and culture that I know and understand, and I am terrible at pronouncing names and uh, and and knowing a lot about that culture. So this is going to be an interesting one. I too cannot pronounce the names of people in my culture, um, <laughs> like Rob. Ray, Ray Ramino. Oh, Ray Ray. And um, Holly Hounce. Oh, see, that could have gone so wrong. (laughs) Yeah, see? But I can't do it. Oh, well, well, but we're going to do it here. And if you're going to get annoned with any of our comments, if you're going to, if you're going (laughs) to, if you, if you want to write in to give me some alternate names other than Camille, you can do so at onlymoviepodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Please keep those iTunes reviews coming in. And we are still receiving requests for movies that we are, will slowly get to. Um, It'll th- happen. This, this was actually a request, but it was an unofficial request, and I think it kind of fit in, so I wanted to do this. Okay, one. yeah, yeah. Well, it's fair. So when you had suggested doing this movie, I did want to see it. I just didn't have the, I, I didn't have the the time bandwidth built in to do it. Right. Um, and <laughs> then you did. But well, now I did. Yeah. Uh, because once we make a decision to do something on the podcast, I, I, I make the time bandwidth. But the, 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 I, I didn't know anything about this movie other than I thought it was like a, a sort of a rom-com that was about one of the people getting sick. I mean, okay. that's basically it. I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't do anything. I right. just heard it was good. Yeah. 
uh, and I sort of uh, went in when I when we did uh, Cold. It also it all I mean it 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 was released to much fanfare. Well, to to very good reviews at at uh, Sundance. It came out of uh, out of Sundance as some people's favorite movies of the of the festival this year. Putting a cap on our conversation of alternate uh, distribution methods. This is going to be in theaters for what three months before uh, before Amazon could put it on Prime. Ninety days. Yep. Uh, before uh, before I'm not sure if it's going to go on Prime, but it'll go on VOD. Interestingly, a movie I'm also going to push for us to do in a couple of weeks' time is. Logan Lucky, which is a movie yep. by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, that trailer uh, looks great for that. I haven't watched the trailer. Daniel <laughs> Craig is the least Daniel Craig he's ever been in that trailer, and it looks so fun. Okay, I, I've seen I've seen a picture of him with blonde hair. But the the interesting thing about Lo- Logan Lucky is that uh, Soderbergh is tra- is testing a, a basically untried distribution method where he's putting a movie in theaters with big movie stars, bypassing a studio entirely. Uh, he has uh, acquired that he's basically paid for the film through selling of foreign distribution rights and, huh. then, and then paid for it to be in theaters through selling of online rights to Amazon Prime, I think it is. That's hilarious. So uh, everyone is, uh, apparently there's a lot of eyes on Logan Lucky because they want to see how it fares, you know, because essentially it's going, he's trying to do a wide release without a studio. Yeah, which um, up to this point has been nigh impossible. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to be an interesting, uh, and, and the reason he's doing that is he doesn't, he wants to have two things. He wants to bring back the mid-budget movie, the kind of, the not the huge superhero movie, but the kind of, the movies that he makes. Yeah, and know, not like the tiny darling. Yeah, exactly. So movies with a budget, but not not the huge budgets. And secondly, he wants to have, he wants to do those films with complete creative control. This is also kind of off the back of a movie that we didn't see, um, the the Lost City of Z, mm. uh, which is a mid budget creative, uh, I guess you could say mid budget art house movie. And there's not a lot of room for that kind of movie anymore. Now I would now I think Soderbergh has smartly decided not to make it an art house movie because he needs it to be financially successful. So it's got Channing Tatum in it. It's a heist movie. You know, his most popular movies are the oceans movies. Yeah. So, um, I think he's kind of aptly decided to make something commercially, uh, viable. Uh, I guess commercially sexy. Oh, that's not the word. I would like the word I'm like bouncing around in my head is pandering. Palatable. <laughs> yeah. Palatable is a better word. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see that this on the other hand, the big, the interesting thing is I can't find a budget for the big sick no. anywhere online, but I'm presuming it's fairly, it, it doesn't seem like a mid range movie. It seems like a low range. Yeah. Movie. You don't need more than a mill or two to really pull this off. I think and other than, uh, other than talent, maybe. Yeah. Other than talent. Um, and logistics of like, you know, the logistics of making of any movie, uh, is tricky, but, um, yeah, yeah. but if you look at, if you sort of look at the sets of this, it takes place in maybe like four or five locations. Yeah. And, I, um, I mean, not that again, it's not, this is not to downplay any sort of technical acumen of the film. It's just, you, you know, it's a cheaper movie, which is great. Yeah. So Matt, uh, tell us what, uh, well, before we do that, actually, I just want to show you something because uh, we've been having this ongoing conversation about uh, the movie going experience, yeah. uh, the theater going experience. Uh-huh. And, and I have been trying to, uh, this entire summer so thus far, I've been playing a little bit of a game where I've been trying to figure out what movies my wife would like. Uh, I, I thought, and so far, uh, I've hit duds. Um, but that, tell, me, tell me which one she didn't like. Wonder Woman. Oh, she didn't. Oh, she probably could have some words. She did. I mean, it's just, it's not that she didn't like Wonder 
Wonder Woman. I mean, she thought it was like fine, but she got so bored and she was like, why do I come to see these movies? They're just so boring and generic. Oh, it hurt in my heart. And she was, she honestly, she was like, it's fine, but I'm just not, this is not my thing. Yep. Okay. Um, and then I think we tried Okja, which she made halfway through. She might've gotten tired through that. So that was a, that was a home movie. Uh, and actually to be honest with you, that's, that's been it so far okay, for the summer. So far you're not batting. But, uh, well, listen, I'm not going to give her Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not going to give her Spider-Man. Did she not like the first Guardians? She's not seen it. If, if she's not into Wonder Woman, what do you think the chances of her liking Guardians? To be, to be honest, I think fair because right. because Guardians hits on, a, especially the first one, hits on a very interesting level where superhero people that, don't, I'm sorry, people that normally don't like superhero movies tend to like Guardians. Here's the thing. the And the minute that, that the, those films like get into big battle scenes. Oh, she'll be a lot. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. Yeah. She's like, like, you know, because those films will try to impress you with like the logistics of a battle scene. And she's like, I don't give a shit. You know, like okay. it's just, hey, fair, you know, um, and, and that's the same that that's the thing with Wonder Woman. She was like, oh, it's cool that she's fighting shit. But, I don't, you know, like if you're going to show me 20 minutes of this, I'm done. Yeah. Um, so so I think that's the thing. And so uh, I knew the big sick would be a good thing. A for a couple of reasons. A it's it's um, it's it has cultural elements that are relevant to us. Sure. You know, like it's it's not often we see. Uh, a brown face in the lead of a movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, you know, that was a big plus. It's also about a real story. Um, it's based uh, uh, pretty much on the true story of Camille Nunjani and his, and his wife, Emily, who, you know, uh, is played by uh, Zoe Kazan in the film. So I think, you know, and it's about relationships. So I think Shivali is kind of going to, going to gravitate to that. Uh -huh. But at any rate, I, so, you know, when we go to guardians, when we go to Spider-Man, we go to lots, I tend to go by myself. I, you know, I just rock up 10 minutes before the movie, sit down by myself. And I, you know, I, that's the way I want to do it because I, you know, I know Chevalier's just not going to enjoy it. Yep. The one thing is I always bring my own water bottle or something like that. And the one I just, I had forgotten this because, you know, uh, when I, when I go to the movie with my wife, I want to make it, it's like date night. So we go to dinner first, we catch an Uber there. Okay. We don't like, you know, we don't skimp on anything. She was like, let's go get some snacks, you know, which I don't normally do when I go to the movies, uh -huh. go to, go to get some snacks. And I had forgotten this part of the movie. Experience oh, you, oh, how much did you pay for nachos? No, look at, look at the first. So I'm showing <laughs> okay, Matt currently yeah, the receipt. I'm looking, this is visceral for the audio listening. I'm, I'm so showing I'm him gonna, a receipt uh, for what we bought uh, in terms of yep, snacks. Okay, so one ice cream Snickers bar for three fifty nine. Yeah. One ice cream Snickers bar. So two of them, two, right? Yeah, we, had it, we didn't got, get popcorn. We just got an ice cream Snickers bar uh, each. Uh, oh, and uh, one bottle of water. What's the price of the bottle of water? The pr uh, five twenty nine. <laughs> When did the price of a bottle of water go to $5.29? I mean, I I don't know why this is shocking you. This is shocking me. I mean, I guess if you haven't done it in a while, but like this is where theaters make their money. Uh, this is the only place theaters make their money, which is why a bottle of water costs $5. It's theme park prices. It is theme park prices. It's crazy to me. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't quite, I was like, you know, and, and the thing is, I'm not, I'm not gonna, um... I'm not going to uh, try and skimp, uh, uh, you know, a movie night with Chevalier. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you I know. Know, I'm not going to complain about the the price of a bottle of water, you're, but, you're, here, you're but, not, but I'm going to, but I'm going to come on this podcast <laughs> and complain about the price of a bottle of water. You're not going to do it the night of because you're a gentleman yeah. and you know how to treat your wife, <laughs> but your work husband, on the other hand, you can just bitch and moan to all oh day. My, oh my God. I just couldn't believe it. It was like, 
Why is this so expensive? I mean, you know why. <laughs> I, no, look, no, I I'm don't not- know. I don't know. And, and then it, uh, it reminds me of, uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the author's name, but there was a book I read a few, many years ago, The Economics of Hollywood. And they talked literally about the fact that, that for theater chains, the, you know, it's irrelevant what movie is playing in the theater. The entire process of the movie theater business is not to sell you the movie it's to sell you popcorn and and coca-cola yes at, at a at a you know at a, at a huge, jacked up price at a huge jacked up price but i think now the case has gotten that water is uh more expensive than coca-cola or pepsi at a at a movie theater yeah you're uh, right. which is interesting because you know like so this is that kind of perverse uh, the perverse economic perverse incentive of economics you know like where where if you're trying to make a healthy choice, for example, if you, you know, if you're trying to, you know, do something, it, 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 it's crazy to me that a Snickers bar, which has more processing involved, is significantly cheaper than a bottle of water, you know, and you can't make, and, 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 and the reason the price of the bottle of water is so expensive is because the theater owners want to disincentivize you from buying it. They right. want you to purchase Coca-Cola instead, which is bad for you. You know, which is a which is a bad choice. Yeah, um, it's you know, like if there's any argument to be made for like economics disincentivizing you from doing the good thing. Sure, this this is a case study for me. Uh, yeah. I could I couldn't believe the bottle of water is five dollars twenty nine cents. I mean, look, New York City, <laughs> New York City movie theaters. Although I will say, I mean, you're not going to get much cheaper elsewhere. That bottle probably would have been in like rural America. I feel like it would have been like four bucks. Right. You know what I mean? Which is still insane for a bottle of water. And and it's it's very interesting because it's like, here, you're gonna pay us more to not put corn syrup in your water. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I, I didn't understand it. I also, you know, like uh I, I'm kind of uh the Elon Musk theory of uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos theory of of um the service industry now. Okay, what is that? I'm not familiar. Uh, I mean, they're basically trying to push everything towards automation. Um and and, and standing in a movie theater waiting in line to get my popcorn or to get my snacks uh-huh. i'm like i totally see why why is it taking me why is it taking me 10 minutes to get through a line of four people um to get popcorn you know to get to to, to get basically pick an item off a shelf uh and then charge me for it well i think it's interesting and you look know, i mean automation I, that has a that's a can of worms we could get into at a different time as far as that's concerned but they, I, it does kind of go with my point from last time, which is the reason things take so long, the reason things are so shitty, and the reason just that the movie going experience is kind of tanking yeah. is because it's the at the end of the day, no matter how much you prep it, no matter how many cool like advertisements or like whatever you do gimmick wise to get people in the theater, 40x, you piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> What's 40, 40, 40x? Oh, 40x. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the bottom line is the front lines are people that you're hiring that are, this is their summer job. This is the job they don't give a shit about. And again, that's because you don't pay them enough and you don't do whatever. Like it's just, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And no matter what you do, if the, if your front lines don't give a shit, the experience will be bad. You will wait with four people in line, 15, 20 minutes to get know, a like, bag I, of popcorn. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's literally an item that you could just pick up off a shelf, yeah. you know, like, and so Amazon in the last, uh, you know, obviously acquired Whole Foods yep. and the the process, the thing that they want to incentivize is, is this entirely automated process. You walk into the store, you pick up what you want, you leave. You don't need to, and, and if your Amazon account is signed in, you just get charged. I'm as so as you curious leave. about that because what's to stop 
stop people from like who stops all the people that just walk in without Amazon accounts? You can't you can't purchase something. You can't you go through a sensor basically with your Amazon account. And if your Amazon account is there, then then an alarm goes oh, off. OK, so it, it's basically designed so to, to remove. It. Now, I feel bad for cashiers, you know, like but but this is the reality of economics that that we are, you know, and I think it's something that uh, that they've been uh, I, I believe Elon Musk has been talking about is that the that what we need to look f- what we need to do is start figuring out what to do with all the people who are who whose basic livelihood is in jobs that are going to be gone in the next 40 years uh entirely automated and, well, and what's what's the um, i know we're getting completely yeah. off the big sick but what's the uh universal it was uh universal wage or something like that it was yeah like, yeah i think the netherlands has imp- implemented or I, I can't remember where it was uh has implemented a universal wage there's, there's a lot of arguments about the universal wage theory um, a couple of places have tried it, you know, like the, the, on the opposite side of it is the idea that it disincentivizes people from working hundred percent. Uh, but then on the other side of it is, is it incentivizes people to do work that they actually want to do. Yep. Um, so, I mean, and, and especially if, if it's, if it's disincentivizing people to go do jobs that they don't want to do, like I, and if a robot can do it better and that person is still okay enough to like eat, yeah. uh, then I mean, I'm good with that. Like I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I know it's more complicated than we have time to get into here, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Cause I do feel like near the tail end of our lifetime. Yeah. So when we're like, you know, sixties or seventies or whatever, like that's what it's going to be. Yeah, pretty much. And I, and if I, if we survive that long and I know, you know, the thing is, I think we, uh, we have a lot of students that listen to our podcast. Uh, what? no, we, we don't, yeah, we do we're not teaching people. <laughs> we're not teaching people. I, I, but I, you know, like we, we do get that question a little bit, uh, like what should I study? Uh, if I'm going to college or something like that. I and, do remember that. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I think the <laughs> business <laughs> <laughs> oddly, no, there have been a number of studies uh, that have proven that, uh, for example, people in the humanities do better in, uh, in business than people who studied business. Um, yes, I, I do. I remember that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, the, the notion there is that uh, people who study the humanities have better transferable skills for most baseline jobs. But uh, I think the other side of that argument is, is, and this is a cliche, but you should study what you want to study. And then when I'm, when I say you should study what you want to study, you should study something that you're willing to explore to, uh, a degree that, um, is beyond just understand beyond just being functional at it. And is, is it something too, that you, would you, would you be okay doing it for free? Do you do it? Do you do an aspect of it for free in your free time? Like that's yeah. something that like, I do feel is, was drive, drove me towards, towards film. television and film because I make, I, I still do. I'm working on like three projects right now that have no monetary value to me whatsoever, but like I get something out of it and yeah. it's using the same skills I use at work. Yeah. So like when, when that happens, happens that's something that you you definitely know that's what you should be studying and going for um now i mean again and that's that's trying to point at and saying hey everybody go with the thing that will fulfill you the most uh and some people i i know money will fulfill them the most yeah. and if that's the case uh go elsewhere and, or yeah, st- you know, statistically go elsewhere my favorite thing uh in the last week is uh as being obsessing over anthony scaramucci oh my god the, the, the mooch, mooch. <laughs> and and his his uh odd oddly close uh uh representation on futurama uh wall street oh. guy 
guy. Oh my god! Uh, I think the <laughs> I don't know what to say about the mush. The weird the weird thing about all of this is I don't know why anyone wants to be as part of that administration. But but regardless, because right. people want fame more than they think of their own self preservation. It's weird though. It's so it seems so obvious to anyone else that you're on a not, I don't know if it's a sinking ship, but you're on a ship that's not going to look favorably on the side of history. Well, what is what is the the thing that comes before a fall? But pride. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you get in there and you think, oh, no, I'm going to be good. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do whatever. And most likely, if you're doing that in that situation, you're probably not going to. Who knows? Uh, b- before we move on to the big sick, I just wanted to say uh, the book that I was referring to uh, is The Hollywood Economist by Edward J. Epstein, who's a really, really good investigative uh, journalist. He wrote an excellent book about diamond, the diamond trade as well. Oh. Um, but moving on to Le Big Sick. Oh wow, we're getting we're getting, we're getting French with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I know because I can't wow. speak Urdu. Okay, well I can't I can't say the movie description in French though. On the IMDb, uh, it actually is fairly simple enough. I probably could just pop it in a Google Translate. A couple deals with their cultural differences as their relationship grows. Oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. This is, uh, boy. Maybe I mean this is a lower budget film, so maybe they couldn't hire the fancy they, writer. They could hire IMDb. fancy. Well, maybe maybe they could. They, you pay on IMDb per word. Or something like that for uh, your, yeah, hey, your synopsis. That is, could honestly be the case. Do you watch um, uh, Silicon Valley? Silicon yes, Valley. I do. You, you big fan? Uh, I am, even though there's a wonderful flow chart out right now about the entirety of the plot. So to every season of that show, it's like if someone comes up with great idea, great idea takes off, mm. personal thing happens. Uh, they do something incredibly stupid to satiate or try to fix personal thing. Personal mm. thing is broken. That breaks big money making thing. And then happenstance saves the day. <laughs> it's basically the story arc of but but i love that show i love the characters i love everything sort of about it and i will kind of watch them go around that same wagon we have at least a couple more seasons it's a lot of fun and and i think the discovery of of kumail uh, nanjiani is is kind of being great although he he does play kind of a fairly um i guess you would say how would you describe his kind of his brand of comedy uh, on that show in general, whiny, like, whiny. Yeah. It's, and, it's kind and, of, it's kind of, it's deadpan dry wine. Right? And I was so happy in this film that he was not even close to that. Like that yeah. I, I, cause I haven't seen him in anything else. Really. You would have seen him in a lot of things. It's just, it's just that he's never like, like he's in Bob's burgers, for example. Right. He, right. Right. Uh, I'm saying like, I was not talking like animated or anything like that. I'm just saying like, you know, he's in um, Central Intelligence. Uh, he's been in episodes of The X-Files. You know, he's always but in bit, a movie, but, but, not, like, but not like as a yeah, main guy. Like yeah. bit parts. Yeah. Um, and I was so just sort of refreshed to see like him actually like acting like a human and not a caricature, which <laughs> which Silicon Valley is a bunch of caricatures and they're lovable, but yeah. they're, that's what they are. Uh, and it was just like a really, I was like, because I was walking in, I was like, oh, is he just going to basically be his dude from Silicon Valley? And, and, and within the first five to 10 minutes, I was like, oh, absolutely not. Like, this is something <laughs> completely different. Um, so it, I was, we also, um, this is going to lead into a, an episode that we're going to do in a little bit as well. We, uh, we were talking after an episode about a month ago uh, and we did basically it was a, it was a sort of amazing moment where we had an hour long conversation where at the end of it we were like 
We should have recorded. Yeah, that. we should have done it. We yeah, didn't. We, we, I should have just snuck the button and I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically we started talking about race and representation on film. And we started talking about like the value of seeing uh, diverse faces on film. Mm-hmm. And and we had kind of an interesting conversation about that. And 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 I think we will we will try to re no, to bring that conversation up again. And we wanted to wait. We, we were like, oh, should we like do that this week? And they yeah. were like, well, we just kind of did it. Like, yeah. let's wait like a month or two. And so like the concept because- gets fresh to us again and we'll hit the same notes without knowing that we're hitting the same notes. Um, but it's interesting because we were having a conversation about this film via text and we were like, well, it's a film about, you know, like literally that, that the interesting thing is the title of the movie and the description of the movie say two different things yep. in, in what we've just said. So the title of the film says it's about illness, uh, illness and, the, and the second thing says it's about cross-cultural differences. Um, I actually don't think it's, there are some cross-cultural differences, but I think what's refreshing about this film is it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's about ethnicity as much as it's about just like, hey, this family is different to this family. This family is different to this family. Just as like, you know, like I don't feel like ethnicity is like the main reason they're different. Well, religion is the main reason that they're different. If you really want to kind of break down. I think culture is the reason they're different. Well, well, but I mean, the the thing is nothing. Okay, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in and because I do, I am not an expert in this whatsoever. Yeah. But it's in, in Pakistani culture, uh, the culture that that stops, say, for instance, or that, that mm-hmm. wants um, a Pakistani man to marry a Pakistani woman, mm-hmm. uh, that's religious Based, I mean, which which in turn, but it, which in turn is sort of based, which that spins their culture in general. But but doesn't religion sort of rule that culture to a certain point, or am I completely off? Uh, no, it, it, it see this. Is, I think this is a big um, uh, misconception. So my family is Muslim. Uh, I'm an atheist. I'm not. Uh, I'm not Muslim. So I'm actually. So I have a lot of affinity for Kumail in that in that respect. Um, and and the thing is, is religion doesn't rule our family at all. You know, it, I I would. The thing is, I I think we kind of presume that it does because we don't because because the religion is so foreign to us but if you look at uh say an italian christian family they might have you know an orthodox uh, you know like i have uh, friends in the greek community who you know whose parents will say the same things i want you to marry a greek girl or i want you to marry you know like and, and but Itali- i always and wonder Itali- if that ties in with the specific type of catholicism or christianity that they that they i think have. It, I, I i think it gets confused with the religion i think it has to do with culture it has to do with like the culture that they live in so if you could go to very uh, Italian neighborhoods in New York and they will say the same thing, which is like, you know, we want you to marry an Italian girl. We will, you know, like you can, you know, for example, Why? Spike Lee's film Jungle Fever, yeah. which is like, you know, 20 years old right now, basically plays in that same dynamic, which is like, you can have fun with, you know, another, you know, with a black girl if you want, but uh, in the end you're going to marry an Italian girl or, you know, like that's, that's the kind of cultural thing. And I think, I think you know, what's refreshing about this is it doesn't feel like, race is the issue as much as it's just these two different cultures. You know, it's just, it's Romeo and Juliet from two, from two but towns I guess, of yeah, you know, Verona. I guess I, I just, I think, how do I put it? It's uh, I th- the, 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 the culture, the culture differences mm-hmm. are still based in either religion or race. 
the the the, the hangers right, because right. Well, okay even in any sect you're Italian yeah. you're a Pakistani anything like it doesn't matter what right. why do your parents want you to marry within your race and culture to perpetuate your race and culture right that's what it is to continue it to 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 preserve your culture so it does not uh, get uh, uh, you know muddied or watered down um, or or disappear altogether here's uh, here's here's the re- uh, reason I would kind of uh, I, I think that it's I, I agree with you I think that's part part of it. But I think the thing that's interesting is that if you had a film with two white leads, for example, sure. that conversation wouldn't happen, right? Because we would just presume that it's a default. And and I think what's interesting about this is that that happens because this is a film that's interested in character. It's like trying to figure out where where these two people are coming from. Yeah, yeah, from. no, 100%. Uh, and, so, and so I think, I, but it, but it's not the case that I, I don't think it's about race. Like, I don't think it's about race. Oh, no, it's race. not about race. It's, it's not. It's just, it's the... And if we want to boil down race and religion into the term culture, yeah, then yes, I, I think that's true. I was trying to boil it a little bit further down to the to the to the to why are people. So uh, I think that has to do with immigrants. I think it has to do okay. with with uh, with immigrant families, um, and even the you know the cultures that I've told you about. Uh, you know, just Italian, Greek, um, uh, Indian, Pakistani. Uh, and these are migratory, you know, people that have migrated and, and it happened to my, you know, my family migrated as well. We're, um, uh, you know, it's funny as my mom visited, uh, me in New York recently and I took her up to, uh, the office at MTV to like look around in New York and she kind of, and like a little tear came to her eye. She was like, just, and I, and I, I didn't understand this at first. Uh, I was like, well, you know, what's this? And she, and she was like, well, just think about this. Uh, in my lifetime, uh, in in a single generation, we have moved from the tiniest island in Fiji, uh, we're a population of three hundred thousand, and now you and your son live in New York City. You know, the, in my lifetime, we, yeah, I we, mean <laughs> that's pretty, that's dope as fuck. There's yeah, no, there's no question about that. You know, and and uh, but I think what happens, you know, like when we moved, when we migrated to New Zealand from Fiji, and when her family moved uh, migrated from, um, my mother's Pakistani, my my dad is uh, Indian. Uh, when they migrated from, oh man, uh, and that must have been right. That was probably a, a yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. We'll, we'll get we'll get into that. Um, uh, when when they migrated, um, I think I. I think, I think there's a, there's a, um, I, uh, I don't know if it's a default because it happens like when New Zealanders migrate to the UK, white New Zealanders migrate to the UK, you find other people of the same community and it's a common ground to navigate this new society. I mean, that's what it is. At the, at the end of the day, when you're talking about something like that, it's just safety nets. Yeah. It's the, look, it's, and I go back cause again, I don't, <laughs> is, I've talked about this before. I don't have a religion. <laughs> I, I have ethnicity no, to do. a point. But I also don't like to, I'm not part of those circles and therefore I don't feel like I am like I am the most I am is Polish. Right. I don't know shit about Poland or Polish culture and I just don't know any I was never brought up that way and I just I don't I don't I would never fit in in a group of Polish people. Hang out in uh, Greenpoint for a little bit. I know, right? <laughs> so I don't have any sort of ties really with any group, but what I can relate to and it's a similar situation to to immigrating and wanting to latch on to things that are familiar and that will just sort of help you out intrinsically mm-hmm. is college. Now, okay. college, and again, this is a microcosm of what we're sort of talking about. But yeah. The reason why college, it was very easy to make friends and uh, date and whatever. Like, that's much easier than, 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 say, just thrown in New York City by yourself. Go make some friends in New York City. And it's like, whew, okay, that's a little bit harder than college because college, you're all there for the same reason. Yeah. 
immigrating, I feel like, is kind of a similar bag yeah, where yeah. your reasons for doing it are, might be different. But the fact is, you're all there and you're all trying to kind of do the same thing. Yeah, and and, you, and, and you, that ties you together in a in a very easy like, like oh you have this struggle I have this struggle too like and then that yeah, lets yeah. things you, blossom. You, you start communicating about like oh uh, how do I get a visa you know and there's someone else who's been in your same experience yeah. I mean, you can you can talk about that mm-hmm. how do I get how do I get around this problem of insurance or how do I get around this problem of yada 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 um, and and now and, I just have to be like Alexa how do I afford health insurance Yeah, <laughs> Alexa you can't yeah <laughs> enjoy death what <laughs> Jesus <laughs> um, and, and I think in immigrant communities as well there's like you know like there's a uh, you know when you're in a foreign land and it's it, it can be intimidating and yeah. scary um you know like having um uh people who speak the same language as you yep. you know there's a comfort factor to that as well as you eat the same food as you you know and you see it you know like uh you see communities that that build their own grocery stores and that sort of thing so i think it i think it has to do with 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 culture all that being said I, what I do enjoy about this particular film is that it feels like that is incidental to the character. It's not, you know, the main reason this film exists. And I, I guess that has to come from um, from the fact that the screenplay is written by this guy about his wife. So there's an authenticity to it that... You'd know uh, nothing about that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, whereas if it was, say, some, you know, if it was Judd Apatow who produced this film writing right, that, right, that right, right, story, right. I think that would become a much more significant uh, a, a story part. Um, and, and then... There, there's another side of me that, that that has difficulties with this these kinds of films. There's another film called East of Eden, uh, which came out uh, in 1999 about a, a Pakistani family in London. And I remember watching it, going, "Well, I it's really hard for me to be objective about this film because it feels so much about things that I know and am familiar with." And I and and the thing that I think the thing that sparked off that conversation about race and representation was like. I was talking to you about how when I write a screenplay, I don't know why it is, but when I write a screenplay, the default, the characters are always white, you know? And and so I was like, and I was like, oh, that's, that's weird. Um, and, and I was, you know, like, it's got to turn the the tint slider. Yeah. Tint slider slightly (laughs) lift, you know, like eyes and nose slightly flatter. You need to play more video games where you build your own character. (laughs) Um, and, and so, because, because when I write, uh, characters that are Indian or something like that, their their ethnicity becomes the focus of that character, sure. and so I I I appreciated in this film as well just just seeing a brown face, and and I think you know like the value of like an audience seeing a brown face in the lead and dealing and just seeing you know kind of their life even even in the periphery is is important and valuable um that's it i have some th- i have some thoughts about this film we'll get into it but matt your 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 overall thoughts about the big six oh it was wonderful uh it was a super good time i went and saw it uh alone oh. i was i was this Mr. was a situation it was was a situation where i literally was the only person who went and saw this film alone and the theater a month in was full yeah which it, is great yeah um, so that was interesting, but, um, obviously I think I've said this before, seeing a film by yourself is wonderful. Leaving the film by yourself. That never feels good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I really liked it. Uh, I didn't realize that it was directed by Michael Showalter. So I'm, uh, I'm not a, I, I'm not super familiar with, I, I looked up his credits after, 
afterwards. Uh, obviously, he has quite a following, but I, I'm not. Super- well, I've loved him since The State. The State was that sketch comedy show on MTV uh, forever ago that has 11 of my, probably my most favorite uh, comedians uh, okay. ever. And The State also formed, I do really feel like it was the first comedy like show other than maybe Monty Python yeah. that like I was like, oh, like this is something I want to do. Right. Like, and uh, th- th- it formed a lot of my humor. I still say one liners from the state uh, to this day. And it's right. so old that people probably don't even realize sometimes they do. And they're like, Oh, and, and then you have a moment. Yeah. But so when I found out that he had directed this, he's also, he, they're the guys behind like what, how to summer America. and like so, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, when I found out he directed this, uh, it, it, it really made me happy because I thought the direction was solid in this film, but it also felt a very uh, far away from the normal wacky nonsense that he's normal, which I love yeah. that he's known for. And I was like, Oh, like I, sometimes I forget cause he does these things every once in a while that like, he's actually a very, he doesn't have to be the slapstick guy. Right. And that made me very, very happy when I read that his name was on this because it was something I loved. And I was like, Holy shit, this guy that I really liked to help do it. Like it was really, it was a nice surprise. I- I think it's kind of, uh, it's interesting to me that, uh, it's an Apatow film, you know, like it's a Judd Apatow produced film, uh, Judd Apatow and Barry Mendel, who are the producers who've kind of ushered in like, uh, comedians like Aziz Ansari, like Amy Schumer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like it's in the, it's in the elk of something like knocked up or, um, this is 40, which is, you know, which are Apatow movies. Um, but in that, in four that, year old virgin, you mean, uh, he did, the oh, 40, this is 40, this yeah. is 40. Yeah. 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 Um, where I think it, it is about comedy you know it's, a, it's meant to be funny but it's also meant to be sincere and heartfelt this uh, more than those i think to be honest and i think that actually has to do with bringing in the people that that will not just apatow's crew on this like, yeah he produced it but it's not his general normal people i i for me the the direction was um the, this is this is gonna sound like a backhanded compliment because it, it felt wor- from you yeah, from me I know uh, it sounded uh, the film was fairly workmanlike as, in my opinion you know it was very just like straightforward no no showing off which is which is but then you know I like that when it's when it plays to the strength of what the film is which that's, is the screenplay that's kind of my point is the the screenplay is front and center the acting mm-hmm. here is front and center you don't need to do fancy directorial tricks to get that across I feel like the smart move that show. Walter did here yeah. was to not to was to not try to let people know he was directing it like right. in a weird way. And I guess that does seem baseline and you could you could call that I mean sort of lazy if you wanted to. And I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying someone could. Yeah. Uh but I'm glad that they decided to go with this sort of restraint workman like uh aesthetic because it let some amazing performances just sort of shine through. And I bet you, I honestly do bet you that Michael uh, Showalter worked with the actors a lot on just sort of what exactly he wanted more so than uh, camera direction and sort of like the, the, the rest of the directorial package of responsibilities. Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, And and so it, it is a very, um, I guess my, my overall thought about the whole film is that it feels, it feels to me, it's, it's, it's tender. It's sincere. It's love. It's, it's kind of like it, the word to use is lovable. Sure. It's a very lovable film. Uh, it, it is, a, it's a little slight's not the right word for it, but it is a little kind of, um, uh, hmm. well, actually 
I here's the thing. The first <laughs> tell me the thing. The first 20 30 minutes to me felt slight. They felt very, you know, the the meet cute, the relationship stuff between Camille and Emily, uh I was kind of like, mm, you know, I'm sort of here not I'm I'm neither here nor there, you know? Like it's it's me, it's cute, but it's You need not, the setup. You need to bait the hooks for you. Yeah, yeah. And it but it was it was when the appearance of the parents turned up, you yep. know, when when Ray Romano, when Holly Hunter turns up, when the disease kicks in, that the film really kicks into it, it, it really takes. Well, that's when tip. it shows you something different. Yeah, that's when it gives you something that is that is actually genuinely interesting. And I think I think that that difference, uh, if it threw you in any sooner, I don't think it would be. It wouldn't feel as. Um, as as close it wouldn't give you that sort of emotional resonance because yes yes the first 20 minutes you're 100 correct have we seen uh, i like the term meet cute meet mm-hmm. cutes like this before we're like aha and they're clever and like we're not gonna like, date like the, and they were the, dating and then like i get that yeah uh, but i do feel like you need to get the audience to a familiar and enjoyable but yet still like okay we've seen this before place and then you're able to do something amazing with that feeling because if you just jump straight into that feeling you're not going to get the same an emotional whiplash sounds negative but i'm using it in sort of a positive term you're not going to get that 180 of like whoa what like it, it, it comes out like the the you know the reason i the the breakup thing where they they, they broke up because uh, we're getting into spoilers at this yeah, point we're uh, talking a lot C- C- camille has photos of uh pakistani women that uh, that have been set up for arranged marriages for him in a in a cigar box which on- is creepy to kind of keep them all I guess I guess, but also, but also I don't know culturally, like, could his mother come back and be like, Oh, do you remember so-and-so like whatever? And he'd need to like reference her. I, I don't binders know. full of women. Yeah. Binders. He's got, <laughs> he's got the Mitt Romney, uh, collection. The Mitt Romney starter kit of Pakistani <laughs> women. Um, but you know, like to keep that on a cigar box on the shelf and then she finally finds it, you know, like even though she's been there for months kind of thing. And it seems, it seems a little forced to it me. Was pedantic. Sure. Uh, but, but, but it, it, get, it gets, but the emotion, behind, the emotion behind her yeah. and their argument was real. I think the situationally, it was a little bit like, Oh, what's this? Yeah. yeah like yeah. I get that. And yeah. I, but I also, I think, and this goes back to, we had a discussion. I forget. Maybe it was about, uh, apes, okay. war, war for the planet of the apes, where we're like, y- you can make excuses for films and parts of films that you like care about. Exactly. exactly. And this is something, I don't even think this is making an excuse for it. This is just sort of like, yeah. And then this happened. Okay. But if the film was weaker, I would have been like, well, then, yeah, all of a sudden she finds this fucking box. Like there's there's a different reaction yeah, yeah, based yeah. on how good the you can earn goodwill is what I'm saying yeah, in yeah. films. And this movie, I feel like earns a ton of it. So those minor slip ups, uh, I'm just like, man, fuck it. I'm having a good time. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think that kind of works in its favor. Um well, it's it's not again. I just kind of felt that that first half was a little workmanlike. I, you know, the jokes were okay. Um, the 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 sort of uh, your Uber driver, you know, like Hilarious. date thing. I kind I was like, okay, it's fine. Uh, but the moment that Ray Romano shows up and Holly Hunter shows up, I think is when the movie really kicks in because because I think the film is as invested in their relationship in Ray Romano and Holly Hunter's relationship as it is in, in Camille and Emily. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's as uh, involved in those two's relationship with Camille. Yeah, as well. Yeah, as, I don't know. think because I think that there's a side sort of story with their with. Um, I guess I guess my point is that it, what were their characters' names so we don't keep calling them. <laughs> uh, this is goes Beth to that, and Terry. This goes to that point last week. week you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. like, do you know their names? Yeah. Um. I. I you know, like it, it. I felt like their relate the the development of their relationship was just as uh, as interesting as Camille and Emily's. Now, the interesting thing for me is 
I should identify with this film really 100%. Like I should, I should be, you know, seeing someone that looks kind of like me, um, uh, as the lead in a movie. Actually, did, did you kind of like, I don't know when I was watching, I was going, this guy kind of maybe just looks like me because he's Brown. <laughs> wow. Do all Brown people look the same to you to hear? If, if you don't see them on TV, when someone comes up, you're like, Hey, that's funny. That, that guy. And I'm like, is this what it's like if you're a white dude? Like, you're like, <laughs> when George Clooney comes on screen, you're like, Hey, <laughs> I've never, I've never looked at George Clooney and been like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> when, uh, when Matthew McConaughey's on screen. When George, when, when generic white guy number I five just is don't, I, and, 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 and we talked about this a little, I don't want to get in too much because I want to save it for that other conversation we were talking about, but the, I, I never imprint on a white male lead like that consciously. Right. Maybe there's a subconscious sort of level, but I, I don't, I've never been someone who in mm. ma the majority of, of, of narratives in film that puts myself in a character's shoes. Right. I watch it. I watch from the God's eye perspective. I'm sort of just like, I'm witnessing these things happening to right. these people and I'm empathizing with them, but I'm never like, Oh my God, that's me. Like even Scott Pilgrim, which you could tie a lot of my own neuroses into that whole fucking thing. Yeah. I'm never like, Oh yeah, I would totally like, you're just, totally Michael Sarah. It by doesn't the way. <laughs> happen. Thank you. Uh, uh, so, but, but that's not to say, but, I, I understand people do that. I think I tend, I try to watch films and try to put myself in the lead shoes and I, and you know, like it might be a reason why whenever I write a character, it's always white. Um, and like seeing a person who's brown, I was like, oh, it's me, you know? Good. And, I, and it was it was a strange experience. But the thing was, um, I guess maybe I am at a different point in my life um, now where the thing that I really responded to was, was Holly Hunter and Ray Romano dealing with the illness of their child. That yeah. was actually the thing that was like the most... Uh, wrenching. Th that was the thing that I like really put myself in their shoes the most of because I was because because, you know, like I only have one son and they seem to only have one daughter. And this thought of like that son, my son getting sick um, to a point that you you're you're helpless and you're trying to make decisions. I could, you know, like in him and Ray Romano, like writing down, trying to write down all the, you know, like the words to yeah, look the, up the, and, the, yeah. the, the polysyllabic words and, and not being able to do it and then trying to decide, you know, like you're in the 17th worst hospital hospital, you know, best hospital in, in Chicago, that stuff really, yeah. that, that was powerful to me. Like I was, I was in the, their shoes. Well, I will, I, you know, Camille and Emily being together, I guess I'm just at a different point in my life. I think you would have related more had you been, uh, it had you been in a similar situation or point in your life in your early to mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, yeah. But that, you know, that was kind of an interesting thing. So like, despite, despite we're, seeing, we're aging out of our heroes. Know, well, despite seeing a character for, 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 you know, uh, that kind of looks like me and comes from a background that's similar to me, like those family dinners rung true. And, and, and to the point where I even understood what they were saying without the subtitles. Did your family ever want you to do arranged marriages? No. So my, my family is, uh, different in that my parents had a love marriage. Okay. Um, I think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so arranged marriages were never part of the vernacular of our family. They're certainly within the spectrum of people we know. Uh, and, and <laughs> I think, um, my wife, family uh would have had she not met me um probably started down that road at some point you know there's a there's a uh, there are couples we know that have had arranged marriages um so it's it's within the spectrum of people we know but it's not within our family so we we've never done that right uh one of uh, one of my friends akash singh from uh from the guy code days right uh he uh 
he, I believe his parents were trying for that, which I don't think he's currently in. Again, I don't want to speak for him, but like, uh, he, he's told us a lot of interesting stories about like that whole culture yeah, because, growing up. Well, there, there are, there, so there are specific, uh, newspapers that are devoted to that. So they have kind of a classified section. And you know for- what? It's so fucking funny because it's it, okay. From a, from, from a, from a, from a cultural vacuum that is my life. Okay. Uh, the term arranged marriages sounds so like, oh, like that's horrible. Yeah. But Akash has told me a couple interesting things. Like, first of all, uh, 40%, you know, we all know that this is like 40% of marriages end in divorce or like yeah. whatever it is. But he's like, you know how many, uh, for whatever reason, arranged marriages, he's like, it's something like 70% last. Right. And like, and he's like, and yeah, it's a lot of, you know, he's heard it's a lot of work and like all that stuff, but like, and eventually, and even the characters in this film, they bring up stuff like that. Like, yeah, you're not going to instantly fall in love, but you're going to make it work because you're g- both good people. And you're like, basically th- th- my, I'm circling back to this point. So arranged marriage is to my what, like cultural vacuum of brain is like, Ooh, like that's so that's mm. awful. Why would yeah. you ever want people to do that? You know what I'm doing right mm. now? I'm dating hey. on fucking Tinder. Yeah. I'm on fucking Bumble and yeah, I'm going on dates, but I'm literally trusting uh, Steve jobs and six pictures and three sentences where if honestly members, specific members, not all members mm-hmm. of my family were mm-hmm. like, you know what? I have a girl for you. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Like, because I, tr- these are people that I trust. It's all, it's also a different cultural thing where um, marriage is a, a place is placed in a, in a slightly different category to where the way it is in Western cultures. Marriage is kind of like a partnership of right. families. Uh, and, and if you it, love each other, it's a bonus. Yeah. If you love each other, it's a bonus. And, and you know, they kind of, uh, I think, uh, have learned to appreciate that love is earned over time. And, and sure. it kind of takes away the, the initial kind of, um, you know, like falling in love at first sight kind of thing. Um, so, so, uh, it, it just, it places it in a different category. Now, again, I'm not from that culture and I, right. I, I, I think I'm a much more Westernized Indian where I, I, I would be like you, I would find it kind of, uh, uh, it would go against the very fabric of what I understand to be true. It's so funny though, because it's, it, I, I, there's a sense of freedom or whatever that you lose, but at the same time, I'm, it's, it's the same shit. Well, here's the interesting thing. It's though. the same shit as online it, it, it is the same shit. And, and so I made a film a few years ago, the lottery or la lottery yeah. in, in Spanish. And, and it's about, um, it's about how my wife and I got married, which, oh, gee. which is, uh, wow. Yeah. Which is, which has a lot to do with, uh, our citizenship status and, and immigration. And, and, um, the thing is, you know, we were, we were in love at the time anyway, we'd just been going out, but when I won the green card lottery and, and, and what happened was, was that, um, and she won the husband lottery. <laughs> when, when you get a guy who's going to complain about $5 water, she really did she hit the, the jackpot. jackpot. Yeah. Face it, tiger. <laughs> um, no, uh, and so, and, and the thing was is that we kind of felt like it was kind of like the bureaucracy was saying you two have to get married. And, and I, and I came from a point of view where I was like, I never even thought about being married. Right. And so this idea of like marriage being slightly more utilitarian, I think is the, is the word yep. for it in, in, in Pakistani cultures, I think seems, uh, you know, th- that's maybe why there's a 70%, you know, success rate. I don't know. And, and, you know, and also I think, and I, you know, the other thing is, is, 
the reason why immigrant communities hold on to their culture and like really try to enforce it into their children is that it does kind of bind them together. And it, and, and it main, if the culture maintains, then these kinds of status quos where like people don't get divorced um, in arranged marriages as much uh, is true because, you know, this is what they know. I so, just think, I just think for instance, and in just to sort of put a, a button on that, I think like the, the reason why, arranged marriages probably don't, uh, you know, it's because it's a, it's a bit more of a business transaction and B there's probably more of a, of a true stigma of divorce in that culture than it is in sort of Western, uh, stuff. I mean, people get marriages like Tic Tacs at certain (laughs) places. And even though it's super un-Catholic and Christian to do, they don't seem to give a shit. We, I mean, we've, you know, I won't give examples of famous people in certain places currently, but, uh, it's, it's hilarious how quickly the, uh, and I don't know. But there, there are downsides as well. I mean, I, I don't know about the statistics in in um, in uh, Pakistani or uh, Indian communities, but I know that, for example, marriage in Hasidic communities um, has a strong proportion of uh, people who want to get divorced but don't feel like they can. Right. That was my point. Yeah. 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 So, there, so there's obviously um, you know downsides to, to to all of us in every in every culture. So so something just a little bit off this that we were we were talking about the hospital before we were talking about like. The the different sort of um, aspects of this film. And so when Emily first gets sick, yeah, um, she had just broken up with uh, Camille yeah. uh, because of finding the, the binder of women. Yeah. The Mitt <laughs> and, Romney folder. Yeah, yeah. The Mitt Romney. Uh, you know, if there should be more Mitt Romney folders in romantic comedies. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm surprised that's not as much of a joke anymore. Maybe because we're living so, through such. <laughs> yeah, I think the binder full of women's a little light right now. <laughs> uh, no, so... Um, so Emily gets sick and one of her uh, roommates who brought her to the hospital is like, I can't stay there for whatever reason. Can you just go? Maybe not even knowing that they had broken up. Yeah. And he has to make like a decision um, as her husband, as her husband, because it's the only way. And the doctor kind of pressures her to save her life, to put her into a medically induced coma symbolism. Uh, yeah. Right. And uh, then this is the, this is when the parents come initially the, you know, their relationship is strained with him because they know what he, I mean, she talked to her parents about it and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, but so, there's two things about this sort of moment uh, or throughout the entirety of this film that uh, I, I thought was very pressing. One was the way it handled the medical community. And I thought it represented it in, in an incredibly honest way. It didn't paint doctors as stupid or like money grubbing, but it also painted them in a very like, this is clinical by the numbers. Like you're going to have six doctors. Then it's going to throw all this confusing shit at you. And they, maybe they don't not care. That's the weird double negative, but they don't have the time to sit there and explain everything to you. Like a human, they have to like download the information to you and get the fuck out. Then they find out that this is the 17th best hospital in Chicago. And there's the whole debate of whether they need to move Emily and the mother wants to, and the dad is kind of a pushover. So he doesn't really know. Yeah. Uh, and Camille is talking to one of the nurses in the in the thing and she's like oh no you can't like they're doing their thing like you just have to trust this like moving her could be deadly and it brought up a very interesting thing that I've noticed uh, I mean I've spent some time in hospitals and I, this is just what I've heard from a lot of people in the medical community is that I mean the nurses are the, the fucking yeah, they, heroes yeah because they and know most they about know, the patient they know the most about the patient because they spend the most time with the patient and I loved the fact that that was sort of the the I guess not voice of reason, but the voice of like empathy and actual like caring and like knowing exactly what's best for this specific person, not a generic person in this situation. Right. So I liked that. I thought it was really nice uh, to sort of see that aspect of it. Cause again, these are heroes that are a hundred percent unsung and they do so much fucking work to, and, and, and doctors get all the thank yous and the hugs and shit and whatnot. And it's just sort of whatever. So I like that 
as, I, a, as I, an aspect. And I think that comes down to sincerity in terms, uh, it comes down to a, a, you know, dual function of sincerity and authenticity. Yeah. You know, like this is a true story, you know, this is based upon a true story. Obviously they've, they've dramatized things, um, um, to, you mean to, Bo Burnham wasn't actually his best friend? No, he doesn't. And he didn't sing a song for him. He didn't like, you know, have you watched Bo Burnham's special on, uh, I've watched on, a couple. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's yeah. fantastic. Um, but, but, uh, you know, there's a sincere, and I think to me, that's where the, the first half of the movie, because they were kind of writing slightly different characters to themselves, I guess, perhaps uh, it felt kind of like movie meet cute. Whereas the second half where it became about the illness felt very like, almost documentary, yeah. you know, like it was uh, very good. And I, the, just one side note though, is uh, I'm working on another project right now, which has to do with uh, medical billing, <laughs> which is a fun topic. And um, it? yeah, it, it, I, I think it's endlessly fascinating. And uh, you know, like, so this concept of like, uh, this would be the 17th, uh, best hospital in a city sure. is something that doesn't happen in the Netherlands, for example. The Netherlands doesn't. They happen. just all have good hospitals. They just all, you know, like why would why would being in why one, would one hospital be better than another? Exactly, exactly. And and the thing that I capitalism. Always, <laughs> the thing that I've always been interested in is like you know because my wife, uh, for example, watches a lot of medical shows. Uh, she it's just kind of like you know she I, I love true crime I, I love crime shows. She loves medical shows. Um and and so obviously you watch NCIS. Oh, that's, that is the Venn diagram, isn't it? Perfect. I think he nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, like what they, what, what films never talk about is insurance and billing. And the thing is, you know, like, I, I think I'm, you know, like, for example, that show house, have you, have you seen house? Yeah. Everything's lupus. Everything's lupus. Everything's like some weird disease. I'm like, the thing that I always walk out is like, everyone in the show is medically bankrupt by the end of this because they're yep. running like millions of dollars worth of testing. So I'm always curious at like, like, you know, like how, how American movies that deal with hospitalization never address that part, which is like the to, big part to me, the biggest part. You yeah. have to, you better make that movie quick. Cause you just gave away a real good idea. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> It's fascinating. I, I like Ameri he's writing it. You uh, all can't write it. American uh, hospital, like medical billing in America is bananas. B -A -N -A -N -A it, it, it's crazy. Uh, anyway, the second point I yeah. wanted to bring up is when we first started dealing with the parents and, and, and Camille's relationship. Yeah. Holly Hunter, obviously national treasure. Love her yeah. to death. She would, she killed it. Did she win an Oscar for her New Zealand film, the piano? Uh, I'm just saying national treasure, but you know, we kind of showed you the way. Sure. Hey, okay. whatever. I'm just saying. You can take that. Uh, <laughs> Although the Cohen brothers could probably take some credit for raising Arizona. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but okay. Ray Romano. National treasure. <laughs> I really? don't particularly like Ray Romano. I've never seen something that he's been in that I've enjoyed. Yeah. I'm not a fan of everyone loves Raymond. I, any time he's been in a film, I've just been like fucking Ray Romano. Like I've just been, I, again, it's not like an active dislike. I'm just like, Oh, because he has a, his presence is, a, is the downer. He's but like, here's, but here's the kicker. I don't know if this is the perfect role for him yeah. or, or he just turned up his acting chops for this particular film. <laughs> but man, like I really liked Ray Romano in this. This is the first for me. <laughs> I've never experienced the level of appreciation of Ray Romano before. And, and I, 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 his performance is wonderful as is most everyone's in this film. Um, and that was honestly one of the largest shocks to me in this entire thing, because I didn't even know he was in it. The second I saw him, I was like, Ugh. but then five minutes in, I was engrossed in what he was doing. I think cause he, you know, again, cause the, the, the writing of this film 
engages him in a. He's not just the dad. He has a story. You know, like the the. Uh, I think the Bechdel test for characters in this film, like the equivalent Bechdel test. You know, the Bechdel test is is about whether women have um, uh, agency in a film. Now. I think the the heart of the Bechdel test is does does a character have a life beyond circling the main character, and I think and I think what this film does is a good example. Of that. So this isn't this isn't a case of the Bechdel test, but it's no, a the case, Bechdel test has issues of its own, which we don't need. Uh, but but the the thing that I like here is every character has um, has agency and a re, and a real character arc yes. outside of Camille's story. You know, like even the comedians around him you know, who could just be little side characters seem to have their own stories. And, and to me, again, the thing that, you know, just the place I am in my life right now, the, the thing that really worked is Ray Romano and Holly Hunter having their own relationship trouble, but also coming together, you know, staying together because they have a sick child right now. And just little details like, like the fact that they sleep in separate beds. Yep. Um, the fact that that uh, Holly Hunter and and uh, Emily and you know yes you're right I should know Holly Hunter's character name. Um, <laughs> you know like lay in bed together sharing stories and secrets and, it, and that seem that rings true to me for like only only child. Um, so I you know I just think that the uh, even to the point of one of the one of the girls that that Camille rejects. Uh, as a as an arranged marriage has a monologue get, delivers a monologue to him about how tired she is of like Vela Lavelle is yeah. the actress's name and she's also in Crazy Ex Girlfriend and I want to marry her so bad you want to marry her so hard yeah okay so hard <laughs> I want to have mon- uh, monogamy like just dirty <laughs> dirty, dirty monogamy. monogamy yeah uh, no she's fucking great in uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend she's great in this uh, she's I think fantastic. I saw I, I saw a um. I saw an interview with her recently where she was talking about like um, when she was an acting student, she could basically, you know, play any character, you know, like there was never a question of, you know, she's just an actress and she can just play this. But once she became a professional actress, it was like, I have to play uh, an Indian character. Oh. I have to, and, and she's like, you know, she's, she's very Westernized. She's a very American girl. Um, but what I loved was that she delivers this monologue in this film that, that gives the, a voice to the women who are in that, you know, in the Mitt Romney binder. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like which she, is great because before that they're all pictures and, 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 and then, they're all characters, you know, like the first woman was like, you know, the truth is out there, you know, like, you know, she's, yeah. she's, 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 and then she instantly humanizes the entire sort of lot of them through her monologue. Yeah. Which yeah. Nice. Which is fantastic. And I think that that is the, the brilliance of the screenplay isn't, isn't again, I feel like like the 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 relationship part of the screenplay is you know it's cute it's nice it's f- very functional but the the genius of the screenplay is giving every character within that a life of its own and and I think the reason why this film is resonating and the reason why it works is because it never feels like it's just pushing plot forward, you know, unnecessarily. It's, it's never feels like plot mechanics. It feels like the story is genuinely moving forward right? because characters are causing it to move forward. And every, every turning point feels natural and, and, and within the realm of the story that they're telling. And it's amazing to me that that is such a, that is, is, you know, cause that seems like such a baseline function of a screenplay, but it's so rare. 
You know, like it's so it's so rare for that to happen. Yeah, uh, especially on a big screen. And there's actually so even on the small screen, I wanted to bring this up because this is something that just happened. You, when you brought up that she could play anything until she got more big, and then she only got sort of typecast. Yeah, uh, there's a wonderful uh, actress slash voice actress called Carolina Ravasa. Yeah. She's the actual voice of Sombra in Overwatch, and that's how I sort of connected okay. with her. Uh, she does this great web series, which is exactly about that, called Hispanglo Saxon, <laughs> yeah. and she plays all the different characters, and it's like about her in Hollywood because she's like too uh uh i guess ethnic to play white and too white to play so it's just like it's this whole thing and it's basically about how everything gets fucked up because of that it's wonderful she just won an award actually at the uh imogen award short film festival oh, so yeah, check yeah. out uh hispanglo saxon that deals with a lot of that stuff i think this really is uh, the anchor point of vin diesel's original career he's uh <laughs> yes no he started out he's like is vin diesel white or is he black yeah. we don't know he's along the, he's up there with the rock but so the big <laughs> sick the big sick the big sick we keep yeah. i mean th- well this is no you know what this is wonderful because i know we have to wrap it up we've been talking for about an hour the wonderful thing about this film was not only will you go into it um sort of and and enjoy yourself in the in the theater and i feel like the ending uh while could it, it was riding the edge of the edge line of cheesy for me until the very end and then i was like no that's per- i thought the ending was perfect i don't even want to spoil what the ending is right um but the but the great thing about this film is other than going to see a movie that you're going to enjoy watching in the theater um it gets sort of these conversations like you and i have had uh started and yeah. it, and it moves things in a way that um I don't think a lot of the films that, for instance, that I go to out to like actively am psyched for and will enjoy, like start these types of conversations. Right. Uh, Thor, yeah. Rag- Thor Ragnarok, I'm going to fucking love to death. I know it and I'll have a lot to say about it, but it's not going to be on these same topics. Right. And I feel like, well, I, um, well, I do honestly believe that sort of all sort of topics, either they're tertiary or, or even these sort of heavier topics, I feel like they all do have the same importance along yeah. the line of a cinematic spectrum. This is something we hadn't talked about in a little bit. And, and uh, yeah, I was just very psyched that this movie brought up all of these sort of um, these discussion points. And I will say this, and this sort of bridges into my final thoughts, I mm. guess. Um, th- you know, obviously you should go see this movie. It's it's wonderful. I think there there hasn't been a movie like this. I, I haven't really seen one like this that hit all the notes like this uh, in this way. Have you? I'm just saying that I think every year there's a kind of a film like this, you know, like, but but it's you, but the, what, what's great about this is it's never, it's very rarely a film with a brown guy in the lead. Sure, but also, <laughs> but also that, that, I mean, there's movies that have hit these notes, but not quite in the right key or not quite uh, in in the right uh, piece of music, if you want to use that sort of analogy. I'm right. going off my food analogies. I'm going to music analogies. Right. Uh, but the point of that is... Uh, I was leaving the theater by myself and uh, oh, by myself. no, uh, I'm, I'm a strong independent gentleman. Uh, and I got on the subway and instantly for, yeah, I just started weeping openly, <laughs> but then I saw three different groups of people. And for whatever reason, I, you know, when you're on the subway in New York city, for those of you who lived here or been here, you don't normally you sort of turn yourself off or you turn on your fucking, you know, you like, listen to get podcasts the fuck away like from this. Me. Yeah. You yeah. listen to me yeah. or you hear. Uh, and, but I had this experience where this movie sort of opened me up a bit emotionally, I feel like, and I actually experienced three very different groups of people. Okay. And I just want to describe them briefly because I feel like they hit yeah. moments of this film. And I, you know, when you see a great movie and that's when this sort of stuff happens. The first was a very attractive young lady, uh, and her mother mm-hmm. talking at the far end of the car. And they just looked like they were having a lovely time. And I was like, I don't think I would have, I, I might've noticed that this woman was attractive, but I don't think I would have like 
in the moment really like been like, oh, like they like really empathize with like they look like they're having a fantastic time. Right. Uh, so that was, that was based on the Holly Hunter. And yeah. Emily yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then um, further closer to me, there was a woman uh, probably in uh, her 40s ish and she uh, had a shaved head. She looked like she was a cancer fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reminded me, obviously, of the sickness in the film. But also I have a good friend currently that's going through um, some very serious uh, cancer stuff. And so that sort of brought in that sort of mm-hmm. uh, angle for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then um, <laughs> the third yeah, thing, yeah. the third thing was, and this is the Shahir moment. I feel <laughs> uh, there was a, a couple with a, uh, a, a kid in a stroller. Now the kid in the stroller, uh, I don't know kids ages, but it was younger than, than your son. Okay. Uh, and uh, he kid was staring at me like <laughs> drilling eyes into me. Yeah. And uh, you know, I look away or whatever. Cause I, I don't want to be creepy and like, look at the kid, but like, it's a kid, whatever. So like I'd smile big and he'd smile big and like whatever. <laughs> and then I noticed the kids as a side note, the kid had a butter knife and he was like chewing with the butter knife. And I looked up at the pan. I was like, what the hell? And the, the mother tapped uh, her because I had my headphones in and I took him off and she goes, you better watch out. He's got a knife. Yeah. And, I, and and we all start laughing. The woman uh, across the way with the shaved head starts laughing. The, the other couple is <laughs> too far away. But it was just this sort of really nice convergence of like all of these moments that normally in New York City at those types of moments, I would not have been open to right. that I got to experience. And I directly uh, you know, give this film credit for getting me in that headspace to have these sort of like three very real, uh, some interactive, some not moments uh, of, of humanity. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know it, when a movie can do that, you should go fucking see it. <laughs> that is a really lovely summation, yeah. by the way. That is a, like you, you took uh, the, the movie and you added a, an element of Alfred Hitchcock's rear window, but you made it romantic, <laughs> you know, like but you, less creepy. Yeah. Less creepy. No, that's great. Um, no, that's the, uh, the movie didn't quite do that for me. Sure. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't quite as invested in the eventual, uh, outcome of the relationship. I think, I think the fact that it is true lends it an air of authenticity that, that, that goes beyond the scope of what's actually on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I loved every moment that had to do with Camille, the parents and the disease, you know, like, and just trying to negotiate that. Cause I felt like that was something I hadn't seen on a big screen in a long time. Um, seeing a Brown face that looks kind of like me. Um, I was curious how you felt about that, by the way, just like, just, just whether he reminded you of me or, or no, no, no. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, his situation, yeah. I thought about you and Shivali's yeah, situation. Yeah. Cause it's not similar. It's but not similar, but you, but it's still, it's, it's, it's just like seeing, like if I saw you, yeah, I thought of him. Like if I'm seeing Manchester by the sea and you're like, well, this is my life. Yeah. 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 Uh, I thought of it only because this was, and I didn't know this is a real story until the end when it shows the picture of the real quote, Emily. Um, I didn't think of this like that about you until afterward. I'm like, Oh, Shahir made a movie about an, uh, uh, an interesting relationship. Yeah. And like, that's when I tied it to you, but yeah. not, but be- not the, but he doesn't look like you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't look anything like me. Um, but, but it's, but he, but, but I he, understand the meaning. But, I he understand. Does, but you know what I mean? He does look like me. You know what I mean? I get what you're, yes, yeah. the, the, we're using uh, emphasis on the correct syllables at yeah, this yeah. point, but I get what you're saying. I'm saying, but like, if you two were in a lineup, you would not look the same. However, it, he looks much similar to but, you but, than Channing Tatum does. No, and also, and also the fact is that if they, if they were calling a lineup for brown men uh, at, at that age, we would be in it, you know, whereas I wouldn't be in the lineup with Channing Tatum. 
You know what I mean? Like that, that's, you'll looks, always be in my lineup with Channing Tatum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm Channing Brown Tatum. <laughs> Jesus. What so should it? people see this? That's the question. Yes, absolutely. People should see this. Um, whether people should see it on the big screen. I, I, uh, hmm. I'm psyched to watch it on Amazon when it comes out. I, yeah. And I, I think, yes, yes. People should see it on the big screen because it is a communal experience. You know, like seeing <laughs> the, the point is this, the, the best joke in the film is the one that you opened this podcast with, uh, which is that, you know, uh, <laughs> and let's do it right now. Uh, I Matt, don't know if I can. I don't know the Matt, Matt, how do you feel about nine 11? What do you, uh, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I mean, nine 11, you know, like what's, yeah, I've always wanted to talk to someone. What's your opinion on it? Oh, wow. I mean, well, it was a tragedy first and foremost. Uh, I mean, just horrible. I mean, we lost that day. We lost 19 of our best guys. Bada bing, bada boom. And, that's <laughs> a, and, and it's an all, and look, nine 11 is an awful tragedy. We understand this, but it's, it, that was, that was a joke that literally everyone in the theater laughed at because Camille, uh, Camille is, is getting, uh, basically grilled by the parents this entire time, these white parents. And then they ask that bullshit sort of question <laughs> that like people that are, have been sort of sheltered a lot of times and they're dealing with someone of a different, different ethnicity for the first time. Like, Oh yeah. Like what's it like being whatever. And it's like, those are annoying fucking questions I'm sure. And so he, he does what he does because he is a comedian in the film. He makes a joke. And a lot of times the best jokes are uncomfortable jokes. It's a joke that works on multiple levels yeah. because he's making fun, uh, of them, them yeah you know he's making fun of them now again that them asking that question actually doesn't make sense because the the they seem fairly worldly and cosmopolitan in fact in the next scene at a bar someone calls, it's, not the, it's not the next scene they earned that eventually they aren't like that at first no but then the next few scenes well they also don't have a problem with with, no, no, no. with camille at all you know like they don't have any racial issue with him because but you don't actually have to have racial issue with someone to ask a dumbass fucking question like that exactly exactly so you just have to be slightly ignorant which is fine but he's Look. a math professor he's a math professor or a math teacher I know, but sure, sure. But you, you but get the, that one. But the thing is, the punchline is so good that, right. and, and the thing, and the reason I want to say that you should see it in a theater, even though we've spoiled it, and you, I'm hoping that you've already seen it if you've come this far in the podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, it seems like a, it seems like a redundant question because everyone would have listened to this would have seen it in eh. the theater. But, but the the point is, is that when <laughs> Shivali laughed at that joke, and she laughed <laughs> at it like so hard and loud. That, that the laugh kept going, like she kept laughing through the next scene, oh, <laughs> just no. thinking about that joke. Amazing. Um, so, and it was and like, you know, when we came out of the movie, I said like, what, what line should I use to open the podcast? And she was like, can you do that line? I was like, I don't know if I, I can do that line, you know, like oh, I'm gonna, it's I'm, safer for me to do the yeah, line. It's safer for Matt to do the line. <sighs> but here's the, here's another thing that I wanted to point out about uh, two, two, just two final points to wrap it up with. One is um, this follows in the pantheon of comedians on film describing their lives. You know, uh, the other film that came out uh, last year or the year before was obvious child. Um, I think this is a much richer film than obvious child. Obvious child really worked again because it, it was, was just so obvious. It was so obvious. And it was sincere about that particular topic as well, which is a Abortion, uh, which is a, a fun topic for a movie. So tune into next week when we talk about abortion and Holocaust. Yep. Yeah, that's what we do. Holocaust abortions in the Holocaust. Yeah, I think we did it happen. Yeah, it's gonna, that's the whole. Th Sorry, I just derailed you. <laughs> um, the second thing is, is there's a scene. If you want to talk about like the underlying current of our culture uh, 
And, you know, I think this happened in the movie Get Out as well. Um, there's a most scene, profitable film of the year so far. I know. Way. Excellent movie. Um, the scene where Camille goes to uh, a burger joint and asks for four <laughs> slices of cheese <laughs> and then like has a has a sort of a, a rage because they can't just, you know, what is the fuck is this corporate America? Why can't you put corporate, you know, why can't you just put uh, four pieces of cheese? And then he starts throwing um, trash trash. Now, the thing is, you know, that the initial point we started this conversation is that it race and ethnicity are not part of the fabric of what this film is. When I watch that scene, the thing going through my head is you can't do that. Is you, you as a brown person, and I, I feel this way in New York City, is you as a brown person can't do that. You can't have a rage like that. You can't go off the, off the handles. You have to maintain yourself because we live in a culture where a brown person like myself uh, will have their actions misinterpreted as sure. as uh, religious or violent or jihadist in some way right. if we go in the wrong direction if it's interpreted the wrong way and and so when I saw that scene that's the that's the thought I had but the film doesn't do that and I I appreciated that the film doesn't make that a deal yeah um and and I know it's a weird sort of like thing I don't know if I you don't felt think it's that weird. I didn't feel that but I'm glad you sort of bring it up because mm -hmm. what's important I think especially as we get more and more films like this that don't like directly pound into the sort of like cultural differences but like have them present yeah, yeah it's part is, of the fabric is, of who they are is is to the best thing that Hollywood can do is make this shit not a big deal yeah. Uh, it, because the more it's not a big deal, the more that will translate into real life that it is not a big deal. Yeah. Because people get used to it and people it's, it's all, I mean, we've all been conditioned by everything we watch. Look, and we're in a culture right now, which, um, treats immigrants, you know, from the, from the very top. And we, you saw it in the Stephen Mueller, uh, uh, interview uh, this week with Jim Acosta, uh, this idea, you Fucking know, and, mantis brain. Yeah. And there's an immigration, uh, you know, uh, issue that's coming up and, 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 you know, there is this, uh, it's a very easy to stigmatize immigrants without realizing that immigrants are part, you know, immigrants can be part of the culture. Now, just because I don't sound like I'm from the middle East doesn't mean that I don't feel and experience the same issues. And, and, you know, I think the smart thing for this film is that it doesn't treat those as issues. Yeah. It just kind of moves on. So, so I, I really dug that. I, I think, you know, like I feel, it feel, these feel minor nitpicky. I feel like, uh, cinematically it's, it's a fairly slight movie, but, but maybe smartly so. Um, and, and, you know, the relationship stuff, uh, it, it was nice. I think the movie ends on a note that was slightly, um, less euphoric than I would have hoped it was. I thought it was the perfect amount of euphoria. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, that's the thing. My, my wife, to a uh, point of poetic, even my based wife, on structure, my wife walked out of it and said, you know what? I, uh, this is what I want from a movie. I, I want to walk out feeling happy. I want to feel good about the world. I want to feel like I enjoyed the time there. I didn't get bored. And, 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 and that seems like such a, uh, uh, that seems like such a low baseline for a movie. Thor Ragnarok in November. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's gonna love that. I want no. You know what? The three of us should go see Thor Ragnarok. She loved. I think. 
I think a Helmsworth uh, does a lot she, to bring people yeah, around. Yes, she didn't. You know, like like uh, Thor one, she enjoyed for that reason alone. Yeah. She was like, she was like, I can't remember what happened in the movie, but man, when that guy took his shirt off, I was I was there. <laughs> Look, I'll t- I'll take whatever uh, compliments for the MCU I can get. Uh, um, so anyway. yes, please go see the movie. Yes. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed seeing uh, a much smaller scale movie in the midst of the summer summer season. Yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film The Big Six. Sorry it came a little late, but I'm glad we did it. Uh, Shahir, when you are not seeing yourself on the big screen for the first time for the first time casting agents if you want to reach out to us you can reach me at uh only movie podcast at gmail.com hit me up on twitter to you know i'll send you my headshot uh, at only movie pod no, i'm kidding i don't have a headshot uh yes he does he was almost a black power ranger oh that's right i was oh those headshots are really different you should dig those up i i don't know where they exist no. uh matt when you are um rejecting your polish heritage which which <laughs> And not hanging out in Greenpoint. Where would you be? Wow. Uh, not actively rejecting it. Just putting that out there. Just, uh, <laughs> hey, Polish people, you can reach me at uh, at uh, MatthewKroll.com, M-A-T-J-G-W-K-R-O-L, or Emperor MSK on Twitter, or Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram. If you want to invite me over, hell, Polish people, if you're in New York City, give me some culture, all right? <laughs> invite me over, and uh, I will come and, and learn things, because I have no tribe. I've always got time for some pierogies as well. Uh, yeah, well, invite you here, too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening and ladies and everyone. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, next week, I think I think we're doing it, Shahir. I, I don't know why we're doing it. We, we know at this point what it's going to be. I know, but and I we- think there's something interesting about uh, the darkest of towers. Uh. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> It'll be fine. Uh, let me say this before, before we go. I, kill, I don't kill with my guns. I kill with my heart. I know. And that's great. Uh, oh, wow. And welcome to the only, but no, we're not starting it now. Uh, <laughs> the, um, I will say this. I think next week's will be one that they don't have to see to enjoy. I okay. think the discussion will uh, stand on its own. Okay. So don't feel obligated audience and we will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye.